Happy Father's Day, guys. I'm uh, blessed uh, this Father's Day to have a daughter with me, and I was sitting and thinking about how long it's been, and it's been 14 years since I've had a Father's Day with her, and she's offered to go for a ride on my motorcycle this afternoon. So I'm grateful for that. Um, And then my grandsons, her kids who were here, went to see their other grandfather today, so I guess I'll have to let that happen. And um, I'll probably get a little more time with them than uh, he will get this summer. My, the daughter that's here with me was born, was scheduled to be born on Father's Day. And um, I went to a Yankee game in Texas, and she waited one day so I could go to the game. And then she was born early Monday morning uh, after Father's Day. So, Bridge Kids, you're, you may be... Dis- I wanted to talk about Father's Day with the kids here. So, Bridge Kids, you're dismissed. The rest of us are going to be in the book of Acts. We are in Acts chapter 8. It's page 764. If you grabbed a Bible on the way in, or go ahead and try the smart Bible. The book of Acts is a story of how the church got its start. I'm going to do a quick review, a little context, remember where we've been. Acts chapter 1 begins with the ascension of Jesus Christ just a few weeks after the resurrection of Jesus, and Jesus ascends into heaven, and then in Acts chapter 1, the church uh, had to choose, they weren't a church yet, they had to choose a leader to replace Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus, and they chose Matthias. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the Father sent the gift of the Holy Spirit that he had promised. And Peter, the Apostle Peter, got up boldly and preached a powerful sermon about Jesus Christ, and 3,000 people came to faith on the very first day, and that's when the church got its start. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John went up to the temple for the hour of prayer, and they encountered a man lame from birth, and he was supernaturally healed which um, stirred up a lot of commotion in Jerusalem about healing. In Acts 4, Peter and John uh, were arrested for proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the streets of Jerusalem. And you have to remember, the streets of Jerusalem, Jerusalem is where Jesus was arrested. Jerusalem is where Jesus was crucified. This is a dangerous place in these days. Peter and John were held in jail overnight and released. In Acts 5, we met Ananias and Sapphira, a husband and wife team, who lied to the Holy Spirit and died right on the spot. In Acts chapter 6, because of the growth of the church, seven godly men were chosen to assist the apostles in their ministry. Uh, they, uh, They were men who were full of wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit. And that's where we were introduced to Stephen and to Philip. Stephen was arrested for having a very effective ministry where people were coming to faith uh, in in Jesus in in droves. Stephen was arrested and taken before the Sanhedrin, the 70 religious leaders in Jerusalem, like... uh, It'd be like going before the U.S. Senate and going before... Um, the Supreme Court. That was the word I was trying to say. Seventy of these leaders. 
And Stephen didn't defend himself. He gave a very effective defense for Christianity. And uh, the, the Sanhedrin had brought him before them on trumped-up charges. In Acts 7, so Stephen descended, uh, defended Christianity, and his accusers stoned him to death. That's what he got. Persecution breaks out. Very aggressive and very violent against Christianity. In Acts chapter 8, we see the progress of the gospel expand to Judea and Samaria with Philip. Large number of Samaritans came to faith in Jesus. You remember, Samaritans weren't liked by the Jewish people, even though they lived in the land of Israel. They were viewed as half-breeds and had their own religion. They were kind of a cult. And the, the other Jews, just they were anathema to the other Jews. From the very beginning, we saw in the book of Acts a verse that's really a theme to the entire book. It's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus spoke these words right before he ascended into heaven. He said, but you, meaning the followers of Jesus, will receive power, power to live for Jesus Christ, power to obey, power to be witnesses for Christ. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and that's what happened in Acts chapter 2, it was the gift the Father had promised, the Father would send the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. That was a prophecy and a command. And that's how the book unfolds. The followers of Jesus are to be witnesses. What's a witness? A witness is someone who tells the truth. Someone who tells the truth about what they know, especially about what they know about Jesus in this case. That's what Jesus wanted his followers to do, was to go... From Jerusalem to Judea, the province around Jerusalem. Samaria, the province north of Judea, where the Samaritans lived. And then ultimately to the ends of the earth. So the book unfolds that way. Today we see Philip, who was faithful to his master's instructions. Philip, you be my witness. And we see in verses 26 through 29, and I encourage you to follow in your outline in your program, that God sends his servant, verse 26 through 29. The servant, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip in verse 26, Philip is the servant. And, you know, there's just uh, kind of an an intuitive thing here about Philip. Philip is the servant, and he knows he is the servant, and he knows Jesus is the master. And that's already been decided for his life. Jesus is Lord. So when the Lord gives instructions, the servant doesn't say, gee, that's a dumb idea. Or the servant doesn't say, no way, Jose. No, the servant does it. The servant, okay, I got it. Philip has this figured out. This is a really good question for all of us. Where are you on this issue? We call it lordship. He's the master. He's the Lord. I am not. I am not the master. I am not the Lord. And that's one we all have to come to grips with. Where are you on this one? So the angel of the Lord said to Philip. Now we don't know about the angel. We don't know. 
Did he see the angel? Did the angel appear? Did he dream about the angel? How did this happen? We don't know. It's not clear. But an angel is a messenger of God. The instructions in verse 26 are clear. The angel says, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Very clear. There's a road. Going to go south. Philip is in Samaria. So I think we have a map for you map people. Okay. So think of uh, between Jerusalem and the Sea of Galilee, you're going to find Samaria, where Philip has been. He's got to go to Jerusalem, and then he's got to drop all the way southwest to Gaza, which is about two miles in from the Mediterranean Sea. So he's got to go on that road. We don't know what for yet. But that's the instructions. Go to the south road, the desert road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. Verses 27 through 28, we meet the seeker. Verse 27, so he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch. This is why God had sent him on this road, to meet one man. Philip responded to the Lord's instructions with obedience. God said it. He did it. He was given instructions. He didn't understand them all. He took them by faith. He just followed through on God's instructions. Philip met an Ethiopian eunuch. He was an African man of color. Definitely not Jewish in the land of Israel. Uh, He was a eunuch, meaning... He had been physically altered somewhere in his life. He had been castrated, whether as a boy or as a young man. Eunuchs were typically placed in charge of harems, a group of females. Eunuchs, good eunuchs, were considered, uh, were valuable if they were trustworthy and loyal. So families could put a eunuch in charge of female sleeping quarters. Uh, And uh, they were put in charge uh, in royal families of large numbers of females. That's part of what the eunuch's background probably included. But we learn a lot more about this guy. He's not just a eunuch. He's an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, or Candace, and the word we have in the NIV here is Kandaki. Candace is the word most of us know. Um, Candace, which means queen of the Ethiopians. So um, this guy's way more than just being a loyal and trustworthy eunuch in charge of a harem. He has risen to a very significant role He is a skilled accountant. He is highly educated and valuable. And we're going to see how this unfolds. Um, He's in in charge of all the treasury. He served Candace. She is the queen mother of of Ethiopia. Um, Candace is a title. It's not a personal name. Candace is like we use the word Pharaoh. Candace is a title for Queen Mother. Now, guys, you're going to like this. 
Um, the king was so important, he did not have time to rule. He was a god. He was to be worshipped. The world revolved around him. And he had his mother in charge of everything else. Some of you wives know how to do that. <laughs> Queen Mother was the ruler of Ethiopia. She was in charge. And I'm guessing that this Ethiopian eunuch is pretty much her right-hand guy. An important official in charge of all the treasury. This is a pretty strategic meeting. We also learn that this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Now, he's from Ethiopia. And he's gone to Jerusalem. That's very Jewish and white. And... uh, Jerusalem is where the temple is. How did he know about this place? What drew them? What drew him there? It says he went to worship. He wanted to worship and he was willing to go there and be a black man in the city of Jerusalem. And uh, that's pretty significant. Who has the privilege to leave their job to go to another nation to worship. This guy is a privileged guy. He has resources, and he has permission to take time off for weeks or months to do this. So, um, verse 28, and on his way home, the eunuch had been to Jerusalem, he had gone there to worship, and now he's on his way back, And he's sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah. We learn a lot more there. Who has chariots? It's like having a limo service. This is not just any chariot. This is a big chariot. And being the person he is, he probably has a retinue of servants with him traveling. He's just not out there on his own. So, um, he's also reading the uh, copy of the book of Isaiah. Do you know who owns a copy of the book of Isaiah? Rich people. The common person did not have a copy of anything. He had to go to the synagogue or to the temple to have scripture read aloud. This guy was in Jerusalem and he purchased, apparently, a copy of the scroll of Isaiah. 66 chapters. It's probably more than one scroll. It's a big book, okay, handwritten. And he owns a copy, and he's sitting there reading this book. He's sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah. Sitting, by the way. He's not standing in his chariot. He, this chariot has seats. And guess what? He is not the driver. He's got a limo driver for this. Let's see the map. Okay, so you see Jerusalem, that's where he had been. He had meant he's going to meet Philip uh, on the road to Gaza. But I want you to see Ethiopia. Ethiopia in the first century was quite a bit larger area than it is today. It included southern Egypt, and it included a good part of Sudan. It's a big area. Uh, it's, it's a major player during this time in history. 
The prompting comes in verse 29. Verse 29 says, The Spirit told Philip, that is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, go to that chariot and stay near it. Philip has arrived. He has heard the Ethiopian eunuch read Isaiah because when people read, like from a scroll, they read out loud. He was reading out loud when Philip got there. Philip knew what he was reading. He heard the words. And uh, so the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So the Holy Spirit prompts Philip, and that's exactly what Philip is going to do. We don't know if the Spirit spoke in an audible voice. He could have. We don't know if it was a prompting of the Holy Spirit Uh, if there was uh, uh, some kind of leading where he just sensed that's what the Spirit wanted him to do, the Spirit communicated and Philip got it. John chapter 4, verse 23. These are the words that Jesus spoke uh, early in his ministry, and he was speaking to the woman in Samaria. And, uh, you know, she was the woman who'd been married five times and was living with a man who was not her husband. She was a Samaritan. She was out in the middle of the day at the well when no other women would come because she was an outcast for her lifestyle. And she meets Jesus, and Jesus talks to her. They talk religion a little while, and then Jesus says, Yeah, the time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshipers, he's talking future to this conversation after his death when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. Worship God, worship the Father in spirit, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and in truth, according to the truth, according to scriptures, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. What's this about? The Father is seeking people to worship him. The Ethiopian is seeking to worship the Father. And God has sent Philip to a seeking man. So Philip is going to be able, so that the Ethiopian eunuch is going to be able to understand. God is still seeking people today who will become worshipers, who will learn to follow, to live by faith, who will embrace the message of the gospel that Jesus Christ died on the cross and he paid the penalty for our sin and then just begin to follow one step at a time. We see this in uh, verses 30 through 35. God reaches out to a seeker. The question, verse 30, then Philip ran up to the chariot and he heard the man reading, so he's reading out loud, Isaiah the prophet. Have you read Isaiah? You should. It's an amazing book. It speaks of the Messiah. Uh, we call the Christ in many, many passages. Uh, his first coming as well as his second coming. So it's a lot about Jesus. Um, but it's a difficult book. And if you read the book of Isaiah out loud, you may have some trouble understanding it from time to time. I sure do. There's some great passages, and there's a lot of passages that I'm clueless, and I just have to get out the books and study. 
Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. And that's a good question. He, his, it's a sort of a way to enter into Stephen, how to, or enter into the, with the eunuch, to engage the eunuch in ideas and conversation and uh, to engage him where he is right now. He's, he has some interest in this book. The invitation, verse 31, how can I, he said. He's, he's just honest. He's straightforward. He's an intelligent man, but he admits, I don't get this stuff. This is hard. He says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. There's not only enough room for the Ethiopian eunuch to sit, there's enough, enough room for Philip to come up on this little chariot with a driver, and it's a covered chariot too. It's a limo. And um, Philip is invited to sit with him. The, the Ethiopian eunuch needed some help in understanding the Bible, so he wants Philip to help. Uh, verses 32 and 33, the scripture that he's been reading in Isaiah, this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was like a sheep to the slaughter. Well, who is like a sheep to the slaughter? It's a good question. And as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he does not open his mouth. Well, who was like a lamb before its shear? Verse 33, in his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Well, who was deprived of justice? Who can speak of his descendants? Uh, For his life was taken from his earth. Well, who was taken from this earth? And then the seeker's question, verse 34, the eunuch asked this question of Philip. Tell me, please, who is the prophet Isaiah talking about? himself or someone else? It's a very insightful question. Who is the prophet talking about? The Old Testament Jewish scholars weren't sure all the time. They sometimes thought it was the nation Israel that the, father, that the prophet was talking about. Some of them saw it as a special servant. Um, they, some of them saw it as Messiah. Very few really understood It is Philip that opens the door for the church on understanding Isaiah 53. It's Philip right here. And this was common knowledge in the early church by now, understanding Isaiah 53. The explanation in verse 35, then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus Christ. Philip understood that Isaiah was talking about Jesus, and Jesus had just been in Jerusalem, and he had just been crucified, he'd just been resurrected, and he just ascended into heaven. And out of that came the church. And Stephen understood what this passage was about. And Philip became a witness for Jesus Christ. Philip Uh, took this opportunity with this Ethiopian eunuch on the road to Gaza. And he tells him what he knows about Jesus. What what he knows about what Jesus has done for him. That he is the Messiah. That he is the Christ. That he lived the perfect life without sin. That he became God's sacrifice 
for sin. And he paid for our sin penalty. And that's good news. And if anyone will believe in Jesus, their sins can be forgiven and they can have eternal life. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 11 is a, is a larger passage. And I just want to walk through it quickly. So this begins, this is written to the nation Israel. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And it's like, we've had a revelation. We've had knowledge about Messiah. But who gets it? Who's paid attention? And and then the description begins, verse 2. He grew up before him like a tender shoot. Messiah grew up before the Father like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. It was a very delicate situation. This is not a glorious place, a glorious royal uh, uh, castle for the king to be raised in. He was out in nowhere, places like Nazareth. A root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. He didn't come across like a superhero. We missed it. He was there. Next pass. Next slide. Um, nothing in his appearance that we should desire. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces. When Jesus was arrested and, and he began to be tortured and beaten. People, he was so, it was so ugly that people turned away from him. They were embarrassed and offended by Jesus on the streets of Jerusalem. He was despised and we held him, next slide, in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain. He bore our suffering. He took on our consequences. He bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. We thought he was cursed by God. That's what the Jewish nation thought of Jesus when he was crucified. Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. He was hanging on a tree, a wooden cross, and he was cursed by God. It all made sense to them. Verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions, nailed to a cross. He was crushed for our iniquities. Next slide. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. He, was, he, he took our punishment. By his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned his own way. We all, like, we all wondered. We all missed following God. There are times that we all move away from what God has desired in our lives. In other words, we've all sinned. That's his point. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And God took our iniquity, our sin, laid it on him, and he bore the penalty of our sin. Jesus did on the cross. He was oppressed and afflicted. Next slide. Yet he did not open his mouth when he was on trial. He didn't defend himself. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and his sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment. See, this is a passage that Isaiah, that the, the Ethiopian eunuch was reading out loud. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. He was brought before the Sanhedrin. He trumped up charges, and he, it was unjust. 
Yet, who of his generation protested? Next slide. For he was cut off from the land of living. That means he's dead, cut off, executed, put to death. For the transgressions of my people, Isaiah says, my people, he was punished. Judgment was put on him, and it was a judgment for our sin. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. Well, you see, he was, he was crucified between uh, two thieves on the cross, and he was assigned to be in a grave with them, a common criminal grave. But with a rich man in his death, Joseph of Arimathea, the rich man, came and got the body of Jesus and put Jesus' body in Joseph's personal tomb. Though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth, no sin in the life of Jesus. Next slide. Yet he was, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And through the Lord makes his life an offering for sin. It was God's plan all along that Jesus would become the sin offering for all sin for all time. It was God's plan. It wasn't a mistake anywhere that Jesus was crucified. It wasn't a failure of Jesus in any way. It says he will see his offspring and prolong his days. What offspring? Spiritual offspring, children of God. He'll have eternal life, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. Should be one more slide. Nothing continues. Okay, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life. After he's suffered, he will be resurrected and see life again. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. That's just part of Isaiah 53. It is loaded with truth about Messiah. Messiah is a term for the Christ. And Philip took up that conversation with the eunuch. Verses 36 through 40, God transforms the heart of a seeker to a believer. Acts 8 doesn't tell us every detail of the word or the conversation that Philip had. He explained the good news to the eunuch. And the eunuch responded with faith. And that's not all spelled out in Acts chapter 8. And we we come to verse 36. And now there's a question about baptism. As they travel along the road, uh, the eunuch is so excited about his new faith. They came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What, what can stand in the way of my being baptized? Interesting question. How did he know about baptism? Why does he want to be baptized? A couple of thoughts. One is, he has been pursuing the true worship of God in Jerusalem. Um, he could have been what we would call a God-fearing, um, a God-fearing Gentile. He wouldn't have been allowed into the temple. And as a eunuch, he definitely was not allowed into the temple. And when a, uh, when a person was assimilated, they had to go through a ritual washing. It was a picture of cleansing. So that's something that he was, it was probably common to him. He understood that. But also, I wonder, he had been in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is where the church got its start. And on the first day of the church, 3,000 people came to faith and were baptized. 
It was common knowledge that people who became Christians in the first century were baptized right after their faith. I wonder if that's what was on the Ethiopian eunuch's mind. He understood. I get this now. That's why he was reading Isaiah 53. He wanted to know who this person was. He wanted to understand. And so he wants to be baptized. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 reminds us of this. Um, These were Jesus' instructions uh, after his resurrection, before his ascension. He said, therefore, go make disciples of all nations. How about Ethiopia? Because the Ethiopian eunuch is going back to Ethiopia. Make disciples. Guess what? The Ethiopian eunuch is now a disciple. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's Christian baptism. The first time the Father, Son, and Spirit are mentioned for a baptism. This is different than the baptism of John, the baptism of John the Baptist. This is different. This is Christian baptism. So then be baptized, verse 20, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded, including being a witness. Teach them, teach them, teach them, not knowledge or facts or interesting things or cool ideas. Teach them to obey because that's what it's going to be about. It's follow through. Uh, And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus promises his presence as we follow. Jesus promises his presence when we obey, when we carry out the Great Commission, when we become witnesses for him. Um, The concept of baptism, go and baptize, is literally to be immersed. Nowhere the idea in the Bible is that baptism was sprinkling. Never, because the word baptism means to immerse, to dip, or to dunk, all right? Practice of baptism, verse 38, and they gave orders to stop the chariot. They gave orders. Somebody else is driving this thing. This is a big chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Why? They, they travel to a stream of water, and they get out of the chariot, and they go down into the water. Why would they go down into the water to sprinkle someone? They both went into the water, and Philip baptized him in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And by the way, think about this. The eunuch is an adult. He gets baptized because he wants to be baptized as a follower of Christ. His parents did not make this decision for him. It was his choice. It was like God's plan to be the very first step of obedience for a new follower of Christ. And the order is you believe first, be baptized as a follower of Christ. That's a public identification with being a follower of Jesus. Um, verse 39 and 40, the good news continues. When they came up out of the water, what were they doing in the water? That's where he had been baptized. They were in, and he was immersed, and now they come up out of the water. And the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Wow, that's fast. The spirit of the Lord 
took Philip away. The, the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, snatched Philip away. It's the very same word as 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, when it says the church will be caught up in the air to be with Jesus. Same word used for rapture. Caught up. The Spirit took Philip. It happened in the Old Testament to Elijah. I don't know how that happened. It was miraculous. Um, and the eunuch did not see him again. The eunuch's going to go back to Ethiopia. Um, we don't know what happened to the eunuch. There's great tradition that he became an evangelist, started a church in Ethiopia, and that Candace also came to faith at some time in the future. That's tradition. We don't know for sure. Verse 40, Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. God had work for Philip to do, not just to hang around on the Gaza road, but to get on the move. And so we find Philip on the map, 20 miles north of Gaza, and uh, 50 miles, that, that's not a very good rendering, it's 50 miles west of Jerusalem, and he's, he's headed towards Caesarea. So Philip's going along the coast, and he's preaching the gospel, proclaiming the gospel in um, towns as he goes. The good news, church is a movement. The church is on the move. It's moving out of Jerusalem. It's moving into Judea. And guess where that Ethiopian is going? To the ends of the earth. Ethiopia would be the ends of the earth in the first century, even though it's not so far. 20 years later, we're going to run into Philip again. You don't have to wait 20 years because it'll be in Acts 21, verse 8. Because Philip is going to go there to live and apparently raise a family. Okay, some lessons, some quick lessons. Number one, God prepares the hearts of seekers. And we saw that clearly in the life of the Ethiopian eunuch. We don't know all that happened and all that God did. He was curious. How did he become curious? What information came into his life? He was seeking. He was spiritually hungry. And he wanted more. Um, God prepared my heart. I was an atheist until I was 25, or I was an atheist when I was 25. But God had been preparing my heart pretty much for 25 years. And I won't go into the whole story. But the, when I came to faith in Christ, I thought nobody had ever shared the gospel with me, that it was the very first time I heard it at age 25. It's like, why did I even turn to Sue and said, Sue, why didn't you ever tell this to me? And of course... As I began to get a little insight in into my past, yeah, Sue shared it with me several times. And yeah, these people were in my life, and they talked about it too. And way back here, this person was a believer. Way back here, this person was a believer. And one night when I was working at Firestone, somebody came up to me where I was building tires, and they shared with me, and they wanted me to know about Jesus. And I just kind of blocked that all out. But God had been preparing me, and... My heart had to be widely moved even to get serious about thinking about the gospel. God prepares hearts. Secondly, God sends Christians to those who seek. God sent Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch. I remembered I, the first time I experienced something like this. I think I've shared it before, but it was February 1975. I'd just taken a class on Lay Institute for Evangelism 
It was a class put out by Campus Crusade, and it was about sharing the gospel. And they told us to pray for divine appointments, to pray for an opportunity to share the gospel so that you pray for it and then watch and see if God answers. So had this, told Sue about it. Okay, we prayed for divine appointments. 1.30 in the morning, the phone rings. It's my friend Mike. Jerry, can you come over to my house? I've got this guy over here, and he wants to become a Christian, and I don't know how to tell him. 1.30 in the morning. So I get up, and I drive about 30 miles, go to this guy's house. We sit down. I pass out the four spiritual laws, talk it through, and he and his wife came to faith. That was God sent me, and God prepared that person's heart, that couple. Thirdly, personal one-to-one evangelism. Get this. This is big. Personal one-to-one evangelism is essential for God's work in advancing the gospel. That's what this story is about. Philip is an evangelist. He can stand up before crowds and preach, and people get saved. But God sent Philip all the way south of Jerusalem from Samaria out on a road to meet one guy, to share the gospel with one guy because that one person was important. And one person had to talk. To one other person. That's for us. Everybody matters. And God wants to use every one of us just to be his witness. You don't have to be a Philip or a Stephen. You don't have to be eloquent. You just need to tell the truth. God will use you. And that's what he wants to do. Who in your life does God want you to connect with? One person in your life. Fourth, obedience is essential for God's leading and sharing the gospel. This was Philip's heart. Lord, I'm your servant. I will go. Just tell me where. For some people in this room, they know they're going to Turkey. They know where they're going. For most of us, it's about going to work. Jesus sending us to work into the marketplace where we have an opportunity to meet somebody that at some point in our lives we have a chance to share the gospel. For some of us, it's somebody at school. It might be somebody in your neighborhood. One person. Who is it that God wants you? Obedience is essential for God's uh, leading you. Um, God sometimes prompts. Has God ever prompted you to speak out? Boy, I know he does me. And... Usually, I'm, I get it. Okay, I get this one. This is, uh, this, here's an opportunity. I get it. Sometimes I'm kind of unfocused or a little focused on me, and it's like, oh, maybe I missed that. You know, maybe obedience is essential. Pay attention to the promptings of God's Spirit. Number five, don't expect unbelievers to understand the Bible or perceive spiritual truth the way you do. Christians, sometimes this, you make this a big mistake. You just think other people are supposed to know. You give them a verse and you're supposed to, you, you think that they, it's obvious right there. This is what the Bible says. Why don't you get it? That is not normal. The sermon is spiritual. When you uh, place your faith in Christ and you receive the Holy Spirit, you are, you are beginning a discerning process of Scripture and learning Scripture. Don't expect other people to be able to discern and to see what Scripture says. I sure didn't get it when I was an unbeliever. Uh, So uh, be seeker sensitive. 
Be sensitive to people. Help them understand the basics. That's what Philip did. Oh, let me help you with uh, Isaiah chapter 53. Be kind and gracious, even though people are grumpy and angry with you. Be kind. Um, So, last one, sixth lesson. The gospel is for all people without exclusion. The gospel is for all people. The gospel message is for everyone. It was for the first century Ethiopian eunuch. He was an outsider, at least in the center of the world in Jerusalem. He was a eunuch. He wasn't allowed in the temple. He was an African. The gospel crossed social barriers, religious barriers, and ethnic barriers. The gospel is for all people, no matter what their social background, their religious background, or ethnic background. It's not about their sexual identity or social status. It's not about their financial status. It's for all people, for all have sinned. The gospel is exclusive in that Jesus is the only way. You have to come to God on his terms. It's about following him. That's the exclusive part. It's inclusive because it's for all people. All people are invited no matter who they are. All have sinned and Christ died for all people. The wages of sin is death. And everybody that doesn't come to faith in Jesus must face their own consequences. But the way of salvation is to believe. Christian, the evidence of your belief is obedience. Can people tell that you are a Christ follower? Let's stand and pray. Thank you, Father, for uh, Acts chapter 8 and the story of the eunuch. Thank you for your patience and grace with each one of us in helping us understand the gospel. Thank you for the prompting of the Holy Spirit. May we who are Christ followers be sensitive to your prompting and your leading and your guiding. May you empower us to be witnesses for you, to speak truth, to share what we know. We don't have to worry about what we don't know, but we can share what we do know. Help us to be faithful in that. Help us to be like Philip. Help us to be like Philip in his heart was just ready for obedience. His heart was just, Lord, tell me what to do and I will do it. May we be that kind of people. Thank you for the good news. May we make it available for all people. In Jesus' name. Next week, we'll be in Acts chapter 9. We're going to encounter a person who hates Jesus with all his heart, and his name is Saul of Tarsus, and he will become the most famous Christian of all of history, and you know him by the name the Apostle Paul. Hope you'll come back and join us. God bless you all, and happy Father's Day. We're dismissed.